Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of the Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh and today we will be taking a look at what happened across the week in Europe as we had match day 5 of the UEFA Champions League to take a look at. We will be talking a lot about the group of death. We will be taking a look at what happened in the Bernabeu between Real Madrid and Napoli. We'll also be taking a look at what happened in Barcelona between Barca and Porto. We'll discuss a little bit about Galatasaray against Manchester United, but we will start in Paris at the Parc des Princes, which saw Paris Saint-Germain get a very sneaky draw against Newcastle with the help of a very dubious handball decision. So now uh, let's start this podcast by taking a look at what happened in the group of death, which saw Paris Saint-Germain hosting Newcastle United at the Parc des Princes. And this game made headlines and it made headlines for all the wrong reasons. Um... If you're a Newcastle fan, you should be feeling hard done by if you're a Paris Saint-Germain fan. It was one of those days again where this team, which on paper has a lot of promise, on paper is very strong, is formidable, but uh, the games are not won on paper. And to be honest, if this was a boxing match, PSG win it one-sided. That, that's just not up for question as well. But it is not a boxing match. It is not a... Uh, game that is won on paper and Paris Saint-Germain because of the game of of the way the game flowed and and the way this is been a what do you say this has been an annual event where there is someone who makes a, a horrendous mistake and they've been cost uh, by an elimination out of the Champions League that that's been happening for years now and that was kind of the case when uh, Donnarumma parried that ball towards Alexander Isak and uh, the goal went in. But anyways, we will talk about Donnarumma's mistake and how the, went flo- uh, how the game flowed uh, in a bit. But uh, we need to take a look at uh, the penalty incident and the UEFA officiating body. And all the concerned people have said that they've made a mistake. And rightly so, because if that's been given a goal, I don't know where our game is going, because this shouldn't have been a goal anyways, and uh, not not a goal, but a penalty anyways, because, I mean, a common sense should always prevail. And I've said this a lot of times on this podcast, that whenever you've been, uh, whenever the referees have been sent to the monitor, they do not have to think like referees every single time. You need to have your common sense and think, where is the the defender going to put his arm anyways? How much is the contact? And how, I mean, every single thing needs to be put into perspective. And the big drawback about referees is that they are not really well-versed in playing football. They do not understand how football mechanisms work. <coughs> I'm sorry, uh... And that's what happened in this game. Um, I thought uh, the way Simon Marcinia handled the entire situation was not good. I think the VAR team is also at fault um, because a, a referee of this stature, of of the stature of Simon Marciniak, who has managed big games before, who's managed a World Cup final before, and he's coming up with decisions like this, it's just flabbergasting. And again, he, he gave a penalty decision for a very soft penalty uh, for, for, for Angel Di Maria in that France-Argentina World Cup final game as well. But I mean, I'm not going to go into that because it, it, I've, I've seen a lot of penalty decisions in that World Cup, which was just, was just outright dubious. Um, but anyways, um, 
moving on to this uh, moving on to this se- sequence of play where Simon Marciniak is very is very well placed to see the incident happening and he says no penalty straight away and Dembele and all these other guys are just waving their hands in the air as to say that this is a penalty this is a penalty but there was not and uh, then comes uh, uh, the VAR where they say something in his ears and he's 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 been moved on to see on the monitor what's happened and when he sees that incident he's been only shown that frame where the ball hits uh Miley's arm and I, I don't know what to make of that it, it, it's just it, it's just very very stupid from the VAR to actually show that only frame uh or maybe I've missed something but again you know, he, he should know that the ball's been hit his leg and then he's hit his arm and that's not an unnatural position anyways because he's running goodness me I mean it, it, I mean if you look at the Scott McTominay incident against Galatasaray, that was more of a penalty for me than this one. I mean, I mean, you can allegedly make an argument. I mean, I wouldn't even argue about that because it could have been a 50-50. If the referee gives it there, you, I, I think you, 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 you trust the referee's wisdom to actually say that, you know what, maybe it is 50-50 and you give that a penalty every day of the week. But this incident, this is never a penalty. Absolutely not. And the, there have been incidents there. Um, there have been incidents in La Liga. There have been incidents in uh, the Premier League that have been so, so wrong in terms of the VAR. And you know what? I'm all for VAR and I'm all for, you know, correcting referees' howlers. But if these are the situations that we are going, that, that we're going to get, then, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but this, this is going to turn every single pro-VAR guy into an anti-VAR guy because this is just making our game look weaker. It's just making our game regress down because we are micromanaging every single moment, which is which is of no need. And, you know, even in this Champions League, I, I, can, I can remember that one situation where Nacho, uh, where the penalty was awarded to Napoli uh, in, at the Maraona, where it was... Nacho was being judged with a handball incident. I mean, come on. If someone says to me that that, that was a handball decision, I mean, you, you're out of your mind. So, again, it, this this entire sequence of play, this entire, you know, thing that that was a penalty, it was just stupid. It was a mistake. And, you know, mistakes can happen once. Mistakes can happen twice. But mistakes cannot happen on a recurring basis. Because that is what spoils our game to its core. And I think that is not really required at this point in time in our game. Uh, Moving on, uh, talking about this game in its entirety. I thought uh, Paris Saint-Germain were incredibly superior to to Newcastle United in the way the game flowed up. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain had a lot of chances. They squandered a lot of chances. Dembele was wasteful. So was Kylian Mbappe. A very rare bad day at the office for him but Dembele we've we've come to terms with this I mean yeah he scored one goal in in the league on and he's been incredibly wasteful and we've seen that at Barcelona as well this is not really a uh, I mean it's it's not really one of those what do you say he, he's not really one of those bankers on whom you would say that he will get you 15 goals a season he's he's generally not so yeah, it, it, it is what it is right now with Dembele. With with Colomani, he had that he had two big chances, he squandered those two. 
and I feel and I feel gen genuinely sorry for my my boy Gonzalo Hamsh because he's one of those guys who's left Benfica and Benfica have been in the mud in the Champions League so far and we'll come come to Benfica as well but what is he doing in that team he should be a starter for a good European side in playing in European competitions he's not the guy you you want in in that Paris Saint-Germain uh, team who is playing catch up with Randall Colomani of all people, so it 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 makes no sense for me. He should not be signing for Paris Saint Germain in the first place. I would have rather see him play at Benfica for another year than play in the Champions League with uh, with Paris Saint Germain. But anyways, the way this game flowed up, I thought this was disappointing as far as a Paris Saint Germain uh, fan would consider because. There was absolutely nothing in this game to be, to be, to be happy about, to to be content about. With with Paris Saint Germain, you generally see there are teams uh, which, where they have a game plan in place where you know what, it, at, at at a very good day as well, we can catch this team on on the counter. We we know that they, uh, they they're not very far away from an individual mistake, and that's what happened with Donnarumma, since that Benzema bump into his uh, into his side he's not been the same he is making mistakes and genuinely speaking uh, three four years ago he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world and that's the reason why Paris Saint-Germain made a punt to sign him and they got him ahead of Keylor Navas in the pegging order as well so I think you know there has been there has to be some responsibility of course uh, the guy who signed him is not in the job right now um but it's 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 really it's it's really surprising the way these guys like Marquinhos. Of course, Marquinhos was not present in this game, but of, he he's another guy who's who makes mistakes in big moments. And this this is a team which is assembled with superstars who are not is not who are not good enough to show up on big uh, on big moments. So does it does this come as a surprise to me? Absolutely not. But uh, in the in in the end, I would say you know after this one one result, yeah, uh, Paris Saint Germain did not deserve that penalty. But should I say that they deserved a draw? I think they deserved a victory to be honest. But the the way they played, but you know, games are not won and games are not lost on xgs and the number of chances you've created and the way you've attacked. Games are won and lost with the way you score goals and the amount of goals that you score. And Newcastle United defended valiantly for the most part. Nick Pope had to come up with two or three good saves. And, you know, they got one chance. They got two chances, to be honest, Newcastle United. And one they buried in, the other one they squandered. They defended really well in the midfield with Miley and Joe Linton and Bruno Guimaraes for the most part of the game. They The defence was very much sure. I thought Lascelles had a very, very good game yet again. And... So was the case for Fabian Scher. I, I still think, you know, there should be some recognition for good defending. And that's what Newcastle did for the most part of this game. Um, again, you know, it, this, this, this entire penalty decision just blows up the entire group now. Because now, with the scenario that's been set up with Paris Saint-Germain and, and, and Dortmund and also with Newcastle, I think Milan are out of it. But with Paris Saint-Germain, Dortmund and Newcastle, 
Dortmund, if they get something out of that game, if they get a draw, if they get a victory, I think Paris Saint-Germain are out because Newcastle will play Milan at the St. James's Park and I back them to go and get all three points. Um, Milan, for me, have to be focused on the Serie A now because the Champions League is not going to work for them. Of course, they have got good players and I would like to see them play uh, at the San Siro in the... Uh, in, in the knockout stages. Um, but anyways, we'll talk about Dortmund and Milan in a bit, but as as far as I'm concerned, right now this, this entire penalty decision has just blown up, opened the group for Paris Saint-Germain, and they've given a lifeline here. But do I think they are going to be sustainable in the next in the next round? I just don't. I mean, if they get second, a team like Man City, Real Madrid, Bayern, I think, even Barcelona, in my opinion, I think these are all favourites against Paris Saint-Germain if they get, if they, if they face them. Even Inter, I, th- I think I, th- I think Inter are are a much better side than Paris Saint-Germain right now. Whom whom am I actually uh, forgetting? If if I'm not wrong, even Atletico Madrid will be a will be a good side against Paris Saint-Germain. But anyways. Um, with with Newcastle, I think they came up very well against this Paris Saint Germain side. A, a, a draw in this game, they could have got a victory, in my opinion, if if Simon Marcinek was um, was in his right mind. But uh, they came up with a draw, which is which is not a bad result, anyways. Um, so yeah, it keeps them also in that competition. They have to win against Milan. There is no two ways about that. Uh, with 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 with. With the games that they've got in the Premier League as well, they have to play against Man United at the weekend, which is going to be a very interesting one. But yeah, it's uh, Eddie Howe said that the main focus is going to be in the Premier League, but Champions League is different gravy. When you play Champions League football, you would think that they would like to be a part of it. I think Europa League will be right down their alley, but uh, Champions League, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for seeing them yet again in the in, in, in the round of 16. And, it won't really surprise me if Paris Saint-Germain blow it up uh, when they go away at the Westfalen Stadion in Germany. As far as the other game goes, uh, it was Milan against uh, Dortmund in the San Siro. And Dortmund have surprisingly been the first team to qualify from the group of death, which has got teams like Paris Saint-Germain and Milan as well in it. But anyways, uh, they have qualified and kudos to Dortmund. And, it, and it, again, it came strange. It came as a surprise to me because... The way they have started the game uh, at the start of the season in the Bundesliga, the way they have played in the Bundesliga, it it leaves a lot to desire from this Dortmund side. They've lost Jude Bellingham, which makes them a bit weak in many ways. But they've they've been very good in the Champions League. The two games against Newcastle, they uh, they've really helped them. I think in those games they showed some real signs of maturity, some signs of experience, a smothering aside, which was very good, much better than them, but relatively less experienced. Um, if you look at the way Dortmund have played in this game as well, they, they had a game plan. I thought, th- I thought this was a very open game. Rafa Lea not being in this game really helped um, uh, Dortmund. But anyways, they got a goal from Samu Chukweze uh, on the other end, which was a very fiery goal. But on the other side of things... Um, uh, Dortmund played really well. I thought Jamie Barnard-Gittins was very good. Karim Adiemi was very good as well. You look at other guys like uh, Marcel Zabitzer has been a, 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 lightning, a lightning shining 
Pride, I think Schlotterbeck's been very good. Hummels has been very good in the Champions League as well. So there have been lots of positives. Uh, Dortmund, of course, have the big game against Bayer Leverkusen on Sunday. So, well, let's see what happens in that game as well. But as far as I'm concerned, this group is really going to be interesting on match day six. I won't be surprised if uh, PSG tumble down. Dortmund generally don't have much to play for, and I just don't expect anything from them. But there is value for finishing first in that group. And if they get a, even a draw playing an ugly game with Paris Saint-Germain, who knows? I mean, we could see Paris Saint-Germain out of the Champions League anyways. And the game between Newcastle and Milan then becomes uh, a very fierce one, a very tightly knitted one. But then you would say if, if it, it becomes a very much a knockout game for a place in the round of 16. Well, let's see what happens. I still think it's going to be Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain. But then again, if Paris Saint-Germain win, they go up against... Uh, they go uh, a place above Dortmund and Dortmund finish second. So, as I said, there is value at finishing first in this in, in this group because then maybe you'll get a Lazio, maybe you can get a Porto, you can get a Real Sociedad, you can get a Galatasaray. Who knows? You could get a PSV Eindhoven if you're Dortmund. If if you're gonna be in the ch in in the Champions League, maybe you will give your best chance. Maybe you can give yourself the best opportunity to to go further in the competition. And who knows where they could land up if they play this one right. And and for that that only reason, I think Dortmund should go all in for this and give Paris Saint Germain a game. Give Paris Saint Germain worth something worth their money. Let's see what happens on match day six. Well, Manchester United were on their travels away to Istanbul where they played a very must-win game against Galatasaray. And this really did not end in the way that they felt that it should end. And another horror moment, another horrible match this for Andre Onana since he's come to Manchester United. And uh, to be honest, I feel sorry for the guy right now, but the way he shows his cockiness, it's just... Makes me feel sick. But, but big shout out, by the way, to my boy Alejandro Garnacho. Was a bit cocky, was a bit arrogant, but well, he does his job very well. And he should be starting for Manchester United in the next three or four games now. Because, to be honest, Marcus Rashford's been just hopeless this season. And I've said this before, he's just an average player who hit his best form last season. And, well, this was uh, my analysis of what I've seen of him in the last five to six years. But Garnacho, he shows a bit of explosiveness. He shows a bit of energy, of drive and industry on that left-hand side. And I think he should make this left wing his own. And I think I think he's done really well so far. Um, but yeah, uh, talking about this game, uh, it, it, it was a, a must-win game for Manchester United just because of the way the first four matches have panned out. And if you look at it, uh, Galatasaray on one side, and even Manchester United. Man United have just won one game, and that was at Old Trafford. Both these teams in this entire competition this season have just won one game, and both those games have come at Old Trafford. Man United won that game against Copenhagen, and Galatasaray obviously won the reverse fixture at Old Trafford against United. So, if you look at it, Galatasaray, a team which is assembled with players who are right now in a mood to make some money and there's nothing wrong in that but players who are possibly just uh, just just far away from their best you you look at seasoned 
players in Europe. I mean, you, there are players who have played a lot of football around in the big leagues in Europe. Players, players like Angelino, players like uh, Hakim Ziyech and Mauro Icardi and Wilfred Zaha, uh, even Dries Mertens, who is a Napoli legend. Then you have got a very experienced goalkeeper, a, a seasoned international with Uruguay, a legend in that country as well, if you if you would ask me, in Fernando Muslera, who had a very, very good game. Uh, and on the other hand, you've got Manchester United, who have got players in it who you would see to be future Galatasaray players in, like Anthony and Andre Onana or even players players like Sofyan Amrabat as well. Um, but yeah, you know, this was this was a very chaotic game in my opinion, a game which was which was marred with, you know, poor decision making from both sides and, you know, just 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 horrible, horrible game to be honest. But if you're a neutral, you'd really enjoy this one and I, I really enjoyed this as as, as a chaotic game when it first started, but in the end, I just got fed up with it. It really was fed up with it. And people are saying that it was one of the top three games in, in of the season. And to be honest, for me, it was not because of the disorganization from both the teams in the midfield, the chaoticness of defense and every single thing, if you ask me. But yeah, for me, the big positive for Manchester United has to be from this week, the emergence of Alejandro Garnacho and the way he's carrying himself for the time being and I would say that he has been probably United's best bet right now in the forward line. Rasmus Hoyland did not feel fit to me and would be subject to fitness for even for that game against Newcastle United. Um, if you talk about the other players, I thought Anthony was decent. He was not that great but he was decent. He was much better than uh, his 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 previous performances and I think majorly that has to coincide with the way this game flowed and there was so much space for him to operate in because he's just kind of a one-trick pony where he gets on his left foot and tries to do something or the other and takes a shot anyways but it worked for him in this game and I'm happy for him uh, in, in in that regard but uh, apart from that you know Bruno Fernandes scoring an absolute worldie but the thing is that Bruno, I, I don't know how he just fits into this team. Yeah, he scored an amazing goal. But the thing is that he, he, he gave away two goals as well. Or he was part of, part of the reason why United conceded, conceded those two goals from Hakim Ziyech. I think there, there has to be a certain amount of problem with Bruno Fernandes as well. With, the, with a bit of his petulance and the way he picked up his yellow card as well. But... You know, people say that th that is who he is and you've got no medicine to it. I, I think you've got some medicine to it and that is to sacrifice some of the things that he gives you offensively and just take a punt and do not play him anyways. Because I don't think he fits into the system that Eric Ten Hag felt comfortable at playing at Ajax. And I, 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 again, he says that he does not want to play the, the system that he played at Ajax. Instead, he wants to build something new here. And anything that he's so far built has been crap. So I don't know what the ideology, what the system, what the um, what the game plan is for Ten Hag moving forward. But anyways, um, Ten Hag, I'm sorry, Fernandez, McTominay and Amrabat, these three started in that midfield. And it gives me an impression that this is just a bit chaotic. It is not going to be controlled well by Sofian Amrabat or anyone. But... 
you know, this is this is as best as you can get for Manchester United these days. Um, moving forward, they, they they did not play that well, in in my opinion. They got two goals, and that were down to individual brilliance. The third goal was a good team goal, but then you look at that third goal, and you see Wilfred Zaha giving up, completely giving up on uh, Aaron Van Bissaka. You look at the, you look at Anthony, and how is he marked up by Angelino? It, this these are elementary mistakes that were done by Galatasaray players. You look at Hakim Ziyech, and you do you feel that he's going to be that guy who's going to track back and defend? He's not. He he, he never has been that guy. So, it, does it come as a surprise that they're going to they've, they've lost this game? Not for me. It, it it does not come up as a surprise to me at least. But um, yeah, it's 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 just a it's just a sickening reality of this entire game. And as I said, this was chaotic. This was just too much for me to handle in terms of. Uh, the raggedness of this entire game. But yeah, the turning point for me was uh, the introduction of Karim Aktorkoglu, who in my opinion should have started anyways. I've seen a lot of him for the Turkish national team. I've seen a bit for him in games against Fernabache or uh, in some of the big games in, in the Turkish league and even in the Champions League. But that's the limited amount of what I've seen. And he looks a very energetic player. He looks a very, very good player when he plays and. He, he, in my opinion, he had more of a say in this game than Bruno Fernandes had uh, in a positive manner. Uh, the goal that he scored, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you can you can doubt Onana's position, but in my opinion, that was a stunning strike. Of course, Onana could have done better. The positioning of Onana on that one was just terrible, but I'll still give him pass for that. But phew, that, that was an amazing strike, in my opinion. So... Uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, will we discuss the elephant in the room right now? And that is Andre Onana. And my goodness me, he's having a tough time to deal with everything uh, in since he's come to Manchester. He, he he was such a reliable option when he was at Ajax and even last season at Inter. But I just wonder what's gone wrong for him. It, you know, he's he, he he was he was a bankable option for Ten Hag back in the day at Ajax made the Champions League final last season with Inter. But then now he looks cocky, looks arrogant, just like Garnacho. But the thing is that if he makes some errors, they, those are going to be highlighted and those are going to be very much costly for United than the ones that Garnacho or even, well, Fernandez's error also uh, made them made them concede two goals. But yeah, anyways, as a goalkeeper, you need to... Uh, again, I can still give him a pass. It, it's not... You, you can't give him a pass for even for that first goal that he conceded. But again, it, it, it's well planned by Ziyech. Icardi moves away from the wall and, that, and, and the ball's been played through that gap, which is generated after that. And Onana's wrong-footed in the first place. He shouldn't have been wrong-footed because he should be trusting his wall. The formation of the wall in many ways is... Is not right as well, so there, there there is a lot to lot to think about that. In the second goal, there is no excuse. You have to do better than that. You you really have to do better than that. There is absolutely no excuse. And to be honest, single-handedly, Onana has been the reason why they have not been in the mixed or at least in the pole position going into match day six to qualify for the Champions League. You could legitimately have an argument about that. But um, 
well that 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 is what you know this team is all about this this is this is a team of misfits this is a team of players who are here just because they are the softies of the manager and somehow he just breaks down with players like Cristiano like Casemiro like Varane and uh, like De Gea but he has got a soft corner in his heart for guys like Onana guys like Anthony guys like uh, uh, Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes who are good for nothing but then he does not play in players like Facundo Pelistri yeah he did play him for 20 minutes but that's not enough I, I would like to see him play more but that's not going to happen because now Anthony showed up for good 60 minutes and then he's going to now play for the next six weeks in the starting 11 so yeah that, it is what it is right now with with this Manchester United team this is a team of players who, who who should not be there in the first place. Scott McTominay was out, should be out of the door in the summer. Harry Maguire should be out of the door in the summer. But instead, these two guys are now the undisputed starters for these teams. That, show, that shows how the mighty is, have fallen. And it, it is the epitome of what Ten Hag has done, in, Ten Hag has done for himself. I think, um, for me, I, I think it should be... Champions League or nothing for for Manchester United. If they're going to go in this competition forward, they might as well stay in Europe. If 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 the Europa League's the next destination for them, you might as well see them uh, not be in Europe altogether. Um, and that's the reason why I would say uh, they should uh, not be in Europe uh, altogether. And to be honest, uh, in my opinion. Uh, this entire thing of uh, uh, this entire thing of favoritism just 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 buckles me down in in many ways. And to be honest, if 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 I give a ten, if if the new regime of Sergio Ratcliffe and all these other guys, they give him just an ultimatum of to you know what you you do what you have to do. We will we will give you a good sporting director who would give you good players. I mean, if that would work, and then you could. Have no pressure on yourself and just coach uh, coach some good players around, and that's what he did at Ajax. And I think that's what uh, United hired him because of his coaching skills. His managerial skills are shit. So, well, let's see how those two coincide with each other. But for now, I think he needs to coach guys like Garnacho, like Kobe Mainu, like Hannibal Mabry and Paistri, and build a team around these guys. Build a team around guys like uh, uh, Kobe Mainu and Lisandro Martinez at the back. So, we'll. So we we get to see the the best of uh, Ten Hag's Manchester United rather than play uh, the guys like Anthony and Rashford and Scott McTominay and Anthony Martial for God's sakes, you know. Again, I I think the game against Bayern Munich, I I don't fancy them winning it. Even if they win it, one the uh, Galatasaray Copenhagen game has to be ending in a draw, which looks like a far fetched dream at the moment. So. I think they're they're as good as done. So maybe give the kids an opportunity to to play in the uh, in in a game like this at home against Bayern Munich. So uh, so that they can actually show some sort of metal in in a big game like this. But for now, I think um, yeah, they, they they're as good as done from Europe. So now let's move on to talk about what happened in Spain. And firstly, we will be taking a look at what happened in Group H as we had Barcelona against Porto at the Monjuic and also 
Shakhtar Donetsk playing Royal Antwerp in the other game. And this has really moved on to be a really significant group as well because now we have Barcelona after their victory against uh, Porto in at, at Montjuic. They will finish top of the table in Group H. And also Porto, because of the fact that they lost at uh, the Montjuic, they will be going to the Dragao in the last match day to play Shakhtar Donetsk. And the winner of that match will be going to the round of 16. Now, this is really a very strange development that's happened here. Barcelona, by far, have been outplayed by Porto over the two legs, in my opinion. But as I said with with, with Paris Saint-Germain as well, there are no brownie points for... For, for creating more chances, for, you know, playing more on the front foot or anything. But the thing is that th- there is significance here that you can see, and that comes down to Barcelona and not to Porto. But first, uh, let's take a look at uh, what it means right now for Shakhtar Donetsk as well, because they are a team which generally is based in Donetsk. They're playing their home games in Hamburg in in a very historic stadium as well where you know we've we're seeing Champions League football right now so that's good but Shakhtar Donetsk as well they they beat Barcelona in Germany so it's not out of the realms of possibilities that they can go to the drug out and get a result out there as well as far as uh, Porto are concerned Porto have outplayed Barcelona in both the games at the drug out and also in Barcelona so there is also hope there, and, and and in my opinion, if you look at it in a way, you know that if this is a boxing match again, if if we just conjure it again into that same philosophy, then yes, it, Barcelona have been the second best team in this in this entire what do you see in the entire pool, and then you've got Shakhtar and Porto as well around them. So Barcelona, first of all, for me. Um, a team which, again, is not properly minted around. I thought Barcelona made great use of the situation that was presented to them last year after another crisis situation, which was them getting knocked out of the Champions League in the group stage itself after assembling a team by pulling uncountable levers and taking loans and renaming renaming their iconic stadium as well. But, you know, they got knocked out of the Champions League. But they they had the situation where Atletico Madrid were abysmal in the first half of the season. And then Real Madrid dropped off in that period between January to February. uh, Sorry, from December to February last year, which was this kind of period where they were losing games against Osasuna, against Sevilla, against... Not not necessarily losing, but they were drawing a lot of games. You had Benzema not not at his full fitness. The midfield was not functioning well. We had Chouameni not being part of the plans uh, for some reason or not. We had Nacho playing at left-back and this, that and the other. And Barcelona in the midst of it, they found a formula to get the defence watertight. Sergio Busquets operated at a very, very good level for these last six months. You had players pulling their weight in their side and as a result, they won the La Liga. Well, they were not the best team uh, in La Liga for, for me because I think that was Atletico Madrid after in, in that sort of period. But alas, Atletico Madrid finished third and Real Madrid finished second anyways. So, 
with this sort of a momentum when they have won the La Liga and this that, they make some signings again. They get in Gundogan, they get in João Cancelo, they get in João Felix as well. They've uh, tried to get in Inigo Martinez, who I I believe is a very very good defender uh, and adds value to that team as well. Um, you get in a right back like João Cancelo, that's going to add value. Um, they found another player from La Masia, and this time it is uh, Inigo, it, it is Fermin Lopez from. Uh, who, who can play in the midfield, and then you've got guys like Lamine Yamal, who who's a good forward as well. So they, they've, they've assembled, again, a good squad of players, but the thing is that they do not play well. There are games this season where, you know, you would say they, 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 they've, they've been lucky to get all three points. Their, their luck ran out in the last game when they played, if I'm not wrong, they played Real Sociedad. No, so I'm sorry, not Real Sociedad, but... Uh, they played. Uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm forgetting the name. I think they played Villarreal on the week. Oh no, I'm sorry. They played Rayo there. But you know, w- w- with with the games like Alaves, with Celta de Vigo against um, even uh, teams like Real Sociedad, even that crazy game against Villarreal at the uh, at the Estadio de la Ceramica, th- these were tight games that they were very lucky to get all three points from. But this time against Rayo Vallecano, who's been a boogie team for them, Vallecas has not been the great hunting ground. They came there and they were not really up to the task. They're not up to the races. Uh, they have to play against Atletico Madrid, which is not going to be an easy task. Atletico, again, playing really well against Feyenoord away in Rotterdam. And they will be coming with a lot of confidence there. Uh, Atletico had one bad game in the last three or four months, and that was against Las Palmas. But uh, apart from that, they've been really good in the Champions League. They've been very good in the uh, uh, in, in La Liga as well. So I think for, for Barcelona, right now, they've got the first place done. They will be playing against Royal Antwerp. I won't be surprised or, or I would rather get their BOC team and play them against Antwerp rather than risk their, uh, risk their first team players. So... That's what I would do, but uh, you know Xavi, he's not, he's not going to do that. But as I said, they've, they've not been convincing enough this season, and that, I think, is going to be the downfall. I still think they're in the running for the La Liga title. There's, there's no two ways about that. They, I think Barcelona have the best squad right now in, in, in the league, and in, you know they're in, in the midst of the Champions League as well. They have got a very, very good squad there as well, so... You would say that they, they've they got a lot of their bases covered, but uh, the thing is that they're not convincing, and a lot has to go to Xavi. A lot has to also see to it that their main goal scorer, Robert Lewandowski, is not having the best of the seasons. So what do you do with him? Do you pull the plug on Lewandowski? Or you ask him to move out uh, with Vitor Roque coming in from Brazil next year? So... Who knows what can happen? Who knows what's in store for Barcelona? As for Porto, they played really well against Barcelona. The the first goal, I think the first 30, 35 minutes, I think it was it was just one side at Porto were just having a very good feast on against Barcelona. Uh, my old man Pepe also played in this game, so very happy to see him. Uh, he, he, he played really well, uh, and so did the other Pepe, who scored the goal. Uh, in, in who scored the opening goal? So I think I think it was in all in the great performance. I think it's going to be a major shootout between Shakhtar and Porto now 
for second place and uh, you know I th- I still think Porto I still back Porto to win this uh, at at the Dragao or at least get a draw I think if they if they get a if they get if they lose this game I think it will be catastrophic because they're not doing that well in the league as well they're three points or two points behind uh, Sporting and uh, and Benfica so let's see what happens. In the other game in Spain, we had uh, the Bernabeu hosting Napoli and uh, Real Madrid just had a complete and utter field day against a very formidable European side, the defending Italian champions, as they say, Napoli. And uh, yeah, as I said, it was a very easy fixture for Real Madrid. They coasted around uh, in this game. Of course, Real Madrid, my team, went down in the first 10 minutes to a goal from Giovanni Simeone, uh, one for the script writers because he was out there. And again, you know, there's, it's a very funny little story that uh, uh, it was Giovanni Simeone, the son of Diego Simeone, on the on this team. And uh, uh, I mean, there, there's some very good players who had their fathers also in this game. Giovanni Simeone is one of them. You know, Nico Path, who's uh, whose father was a very very good player as well played for Argentina alongside Diego Simeone at one side at one time Canizares who was a substitute goalkeeper for Real Madrid and so on and so forth Theo Zidane also was on the bench uh, who I mean I think I'm I'm guessing everyone knows the name of his father so yeah it was uh, it was assembly of the star kids around here in uh in in the Bernabeu and well, Real Madrid, as, as 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 always, they went behind. They came back with a very, very good goal from Rodrigo. I thought Rodrigo's played really well in the last one month, and uh, all the criticism he's, he's he's left that behind. I think he needs to he needs to keep hold of his good form. But then, you know, Jude Bellingham. There is nothing more to say about him. That was a wonderful finish with that header. It, it really is. I, I mean, he gave me the vibes of. Uh, that Cristiano goal when he scored against uh, against Ajax in that in in his first season at Juventus, I think it was it was sort of that sort of a goal and uh, he buried that brilliantly. Um, I think there is still a lot to lot to be done with Volta Materazzi as the Napoli manager. There's a big game coming up at the weekend where they'll host Inter uh, at the Maraona, so we'll we'll see what happens there. But for now, I think uh, uh, he he has to. Gets uh, he did he did not let his troops fly around and uh, I think Zombo Angisa he scored a very very good goal as well I blame Tony Cross for it because he, he just neglected the uh, danger that was in front of in in front of that in in front of that situation but anyways uh, Real Madrid goes through four two victory nothing more to check around I think um, Ancelotti has done a fantastic job yet again and you see the amount of injuries that are. Right now with Real Madrid, we start with Vinicius, there is Kamavinga, there is Chouameni, there's Luka Modric, there's uh, uh, Courtois, there is Eder Militao. That's six players and definite shot for everyone being a starter, especially, I mean, oh, everyone is a starter in this team, isn't it? Six players and also Arda Guler, who, who's, who's not played any a single game for Real Madrid so far, but... Uh, yeah, you got six players out of which I would say Modric, who's a club legend, 
is the one who is the least likely one to start. But the other ones are definite starters for, for Real Madrid in this day and age. And very happy for Lunin, the way he's played. Um, I think shows a lot of character as well. He, he shows a lot of security in the team, that is for sure. And of course, yeah, Korto, uh, uh, Kepa is injured as well. So your first choice, second choice goalkeeper, both have been injured. And in the midst of all of this, Ancelotti has found a way to make everyone tick. He's found a way to get the best out of every single player in that team. And I think this injury crisis has come at a very good time, if there was one to come. Because now that all the big fixtures, like the Barcelona game, the Atletico game... Games against Napoli have been done. Game against Sevilla has been done. They've also faced Girona away. They've played, they've played uh, Real Sociedad as well. So all these big games in La Liga and in the Champions League are done with. You're guaranteed first spot. You're top of the league in La Liga and also in the Champions League. And that, that that's that's as much as you could you could ask. I mean, the draw is not in your hand, so you don't know what's going to happen in the round of 16. But as far as this entire situation goes, I think nobody would have handled it better than Carletto. And for that, you know, I've I've always been defending Carlo Ancelotti. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, I, I do not understand his decisions, but a lot of times I've, I've been a big fan of those. So uh, I think it's... Um, it's only imperative that he stays in the job for the for, for for this one season, and if he wins something, be it the Copa Copa del Rey or La Liga or even the Champions League, I think he should walk down in the sunset and manage the Copa America with Brazil. It's just I, I just think for that, and uh, yeah, again to touch upon uh, something that I have observed, and it's not really an observation; it's a very obvious thing. There, Joselu is not the striker that you want. I mean, he, he gives a lot without the ball, but with Real Madrid, as a striker, you would associate someone to score around 20 goals. And that's and that's me being very kind. You, you, you it, It's 20 goals that you have to score. But now, with Joselu, you're evidently seeing that he's not the man that you might want to have because of the chances that he's missing. Maybe there is a window for a number nine to enter in the uh, in, in in the next few days because uh, when when the January transfer window opens up because th- there has to be a saturation point at when when the goals dry up and where you need someone in the in that number nine position at presence who will start every single game, which will give you that security. I do not believe for one second that Rodrigo. And Joselu, a partnership like that will work. I mean, it has worked, but it's not the way you want to work. And someone who got relegated with Espanyol last season is not going to be your starting striker anyway. So um, I hope for Real Madrid to sign a striker. There are a few names that come to my mind. I think if they can persuade someone like Dusan Vlahovic from Juventus, I think that could work because he's currently... Um, playing for a side which maybe would challenge for the Scudetto, but in many ways a, a very a, a very circumspect. I, 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 I won't really lie, but Dusan Vlaovic looks like a very good bet. If something really um, goes downhill with Napoli, you can also look at Victor Osimen, and if he is interested in coming to the Bernabeu... Um, there is someone whom I really like, and that is Santi Jimenez from Feyenoord. 
There is no Champions League football there. He's won the league with Feyenoord already, so he's done a lot of things that you need to do uh, in Dutch football. So maybe you can take a step further forward. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but yeah, it is what it is right now. So maybe they could get, maybe you could get a striker. I, I, I mean, if you ask me, if, what would be my favorite option? Then I would say if we can wait till the summer and see what Man City want for Julian Alvarez. Because I think he's the one who can complement Vinicius and Rodrigo very well. So I don't think that will happen, but, uh, well, it looks like a very, very safe bet to put on. Because Alvarez already won the Champions League with Man City. He's won the Premier League. Maybe he'll win it again. He's won the FA Cup as well. There's not much to do in, uh, in, in, in English football for him right now, but... What better place to leave Man City than to come at Real Madrid if he can? He's not going to come in January, I can tell you that for sure. I, I still think even in the summer, if, he's, if, if, if Real Madrid are trying to get him, it's going to be a really, really tough ask. But anyways, I, I would like to have Julian Alvarez at Real Madrid. I think they should have gone for him last summer when he joined River, but that, that deal was completed long way back. So let's see what happens. I think uh, we are we, we need a number nine. Edric's gonna come, but I'm I'm not gonna put all my stocks in Edric. As good as he's been for Palmeiras, I'm not gonna put my all my stocks into uh, in, into Edric and in him shining in the first season because it's going to take some time, definitely. So some other games that happened across the weekend and we'll just take a look at them. Benfica again and Inter played a really good game uh, at the Estadio de Luz where João Mario, the former Benfica player, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the former Inter player scored a first half hat-trick against, uh, against Inter. I thought that was, uh, that, that was really one, again, one, another one for the scriptwriters script after Joe Simeone and now him scoring against his former club. Um, I think it was a very, very good game in the first half for Benfica. I thought Kasper Tengstedt showed a lot of uh, showed, showed a lot of guile, showed a lot of uh, determination playing as a number nine. I think he had he had a role to play in all the three goals that were scored by uh, uh, by Joao Mario in the first half. But then um, Inter made changes. They get in some of the good players that usually play in the first team. And the game's completely changed off. That sec that second goal was just a piece of beauty. Arnautovic gets on the score sheet. Alexis Sanchez gets on the score sheet as well. Um, I, I, I thought it was a good game for Benfica, but they just blew it up. They've got a big game coming up against uh, RB Salzburg when they travel to Austria. If they win that game, they will be in the Europa League, which which might be the best thing that could happen to Benfica. They're still in the hunt for the, the Liga Portugal title. So, well, let's see what happens there. On the other side of uh, the continent, we had Feyenoord taking on Atletico Madrid, and this was a must-win game for them. But in the end, Atletico Madrid win it again, 3-1 on the night. They're probably going to finish first, as uh, they have got a game coming up against Lazio at the Civitas Metropolitano. Lazio, on the other hand, beat Celtic with goals from Ciro Immobile. And... Um, yeah, I mean, they're going through to the round of 16 as well. I think Lazio, I, I just don't think they're going to go anywhere far than round of 16. I think that will be the end for uh, Maurizio Sarri's side. As for Atletico Madrid, I think they are going to be such a nuisance to handle in the in the round of 16. I think any team which gets them will be will not be happy. 
even round of 16 quarterfinals semifinals wherever they finish they're not the best team to face even you if you're atletico if, if even if you're man city if you're Bayern, you just don't want to come up against atletico madrid and the way they played again uh, against uh, against final just a just a reference to what I'm saying. They've, they've been very, very good. And a big shout-out, by the way, to Rodrigo Riquelme, who's been fantastic. I mean, he, he just looks a fantastic player on that left-hand side. Probably better than Yannick Carrasco when he was at Atletico Madrid. But again, someone like a Samuelino is doing really well. So let's see what happens on that situation for Atletico Madrid. Is there any other game I'm, I've forgotten to... Uh, Forgotten to take, uh, to take a look at. Um, well, of course, PSV Eindhoven against uh, Sevilla was one of them. Ramon Sanchez Pijuan was the host for that game, and uh, Sergio Ramos put Sevilla ahead with a very fluke of a goal, and then uh, then it was Sevilla melting down, and they lost the plot, and then they lost the game eventually to a Ricardo Pepe winner and well they're out of contention for the Champions League probably also from the Europa League as well they face an uphill ta- task to uh, beat Arsenal away from uh, away from home so we'll see what happens or maybe it's at home maybe maybe at the Emirates I don't know but yeah it is what it is so right now we've got a few teams which have qualified and let's just rank these teams according to my football knowledge uh, I think Man City they're not playing the best of footballs right now. They, they played against Leipzig in the, in the midweek, and it, it was not a very, very good game. Let's be honest about that. Loya Penda doing really well in that first half, getting his two goals. I mean, so much space to work into him. I don't, I don't know what's happened to Huben Dias because um, he did not look like himself in that in that game. Even against Chelsea, it was just atrocious, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, there are some question marks about Man City, but I think Man City, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, especially if they sign João Palinha in the January transfer window, I think they will be in that same bracket as Man City. Then you have Real Madrid at number four, in my opinion, at, at, num- at number three. Um, then I'll probably have Arsenal and Inter in that bracket next to them. Then Barcelona. I mean, Arsenal... Arsenal, probably yeah. Arsenal, Inter and Atletico in that bracket. Real Madrid will be independent on second. Those three in that third bracket. Then probably teams like Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, if they qualify. Um, Napoli as well in that same bracket. But I think these teams are just iffy here and there. and You cannot guarantee them getting out of their... Out of the uh, out of the group, uh, out of the rounds of sixteen fixtures, anyways. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Arsenal, by the way, played really well against uh, um, against Lens at the Emirates. They won it by six goals to nil. Very very good performance there. Yeah, so that's about it, and it's that's it from this podcast for today. And uh, be sure to subscribe and be sure to follow me on. Twitter and Instagram. It is weeklypod underscore ott on in, on Twitter. I post a lot of stuff there, so be sure to check into my work. And well, let's meet you guys on Tuesday after some very very good games. We have got Dortmund against Bayer Leverkusen. We've got Inter against Napoli in Serie A. We've got uh, 
Union Berlin against Bayern in oh it's it's the other way around it's going to be at the Allianz Arena so Bayern against Union Berlin in the Bundesliga as well on Saturday we've also got in the Premier League we have Tottenham against against Man City I think it's at the Etihad Stadium also have Newcastle against Manchester United so that's going to be interesting as well I think the big game of this weekend has to be Barca against Atletico Madrid in at Montjuic so we'll see each other on Tuesday or you'll hear from me on Tuesday until then this was a host of Mayuresh Matkar thank you very much cheerio